0: Coming, inside, take one. Yeah. So to the reactions of me, my children and hundreds of other people at Hernhill Hill Velodrome in South East London, to the sights and sounds of an amazing display of, well, the subject of today's episode.
1: Bringing you the stories behind the standards. This is the BSI Education Podcast with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parroquil. Today's episode is on standards and fireworks.
0: Hello, my name is Matthew Chiles, and the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And this episode is indeed on the subject of fireworks. In part one, we'll hear my conversation with explosives expert and standards maker, Tom Smith. A chemist by background, Tom has worked in the explosives industry for over 35 years and chairs CII 47, the BSI Standards Committee for Pyrotechnics, Explosives and Fireworks. Tom tells me about the role that standards play in the making and use of consumer and display fireworks, and also about some of the incredible fireworks displays he has been involved with during his career. There's also a rather surprising revelation about how he enjoys fireworks on Bonfire Night. In part two, we'll hear from BSI's Lockheed Humphreys about the stakeholder representation on CII 47. Some of the current standards making taking place for fireworks at UK, European, and international levels, and how standards might tackle the issue of sustainability and reduction in the use of plastics. Also, in this episode, I share some of my own love of fireworks, and we drop in some interesting did you know facts too. But before we light the blue touch paper on this subject, a reminder that for more information on BSI education, go to bsigroup.com forward slash education. Do please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what we do here on the podcast and you listen to us via Apple Podcasts, then please consider giving us a five-star rating. It's quick and easy, and it really does make a difference to us being found by search and recommendations. Share us on social media using that hashtag BSIDpod. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or previous episodes, or even ideas for future episodes, then do please get in touch at education at We really welcome your feedback.
1: Fireworks history begins in China around 2000 years ago. It was all down to the discovery of gunpowder. It is believed that the discovery was made by pure accident, by a cook working in a field kitchen. He'd made a mixture of charcoal, sulfur, and saltpeter, a substance used to cure meats. The blend burned well, and when compressed in a tube of bamboo, it exploded. It's widely accepted that Marco Polo, the 13th century Italian explorer is credited with bringing Chinese gunpowder to Europe. And once it had arrived in Europe, it was quickly used as a military device in rockets and then later in guns and cannons. The Italians were the first in Europe to begin the production of black powder for the use of fireworks, followed by Germany in the 18th century. Now, in the UK, the use of fireworks is most commonly associated with the 5th of November, Guy Fawkes, or Bonfire Night, and the conspiracy to blow up the Houses of Parliament in 1605. But in fact, it's really a new format for a much more ancient ritual. One with its roots in the pagan tradition, centred around the 1st of November, to mark the first day of winter. Bonfires were lit, torches were carried in procession, and sacrifices made to drive away evil influences and uphold the fertility of the world. These festivals of light are now associated with many religions and cultures around the world.
0: I've always been a sucker for fireworks. We're all used to huge displays now, aren't we? especially on New Year's Eve, with cities around the world putting on incredible displays against the backdrop of national monuments or famous places, the Sydney Harbour Bridge or London's Millennium Wheel. But for me, the connection, fascination and love of fireworks is rooted in something a lot simpler. Growing up, it was all about the aptly named Standard Fireworks, a brand which I discovered while preparing this episode has been around incredibly since 1891. Standard fireworks are part of Black Cat Fireworks now, based in China. As you might imagine, China accounts for 90% of fireworks manufacture. Roman Candle, Golden Fountain, Jack in the Box, Shooting Star. Just saying those names from the standard fireworks box out loud transports me back in time. To my eight-year-old mind, they always sounded insanely brilliant and spectacular, even though deep down, You knew there probably wouldn't be. When I was at primary school, every year on the 5th of November, my mum, dad and younger brother would head over to what us kids called the gravel pit, a bit of wasteland at the edge of our village, where we used to hang out most of the time. It was only years later that I realised gravel pit was where the local council stored gravel, weird road fixing machines and that sort of thing. Goodness knows what we were doing playing there. Anyway, every bonfire night we'd walk over to the gravel pit with what felt like the whole village to stand around what was in my mind a huge bonfire. In reality, it was probably pretty small and we all probably stood far too close, with families using it as a way of dumping things that probably shouldn't be burned. In the weeks preceding bonfire night, it would somehow miraculously grow. And every year, there would be a rumour that some older kids had thrown in aerosol cans and so as younger ones would wait with eager anticipation for some huge and dangerous explosion obviously that never ever happened so while the bonfire was in full swing someone would set off what was in my mind again beautifully created and choreographed fireworks display that went on for a good 30 minutes the reality would have been less spectacular the fireworks may have been something a group of parents did i have no idea but it didn't really matter to me. I can still see that bonfire now, with the fireworks going off in the background, and my cold breath rising into the air, as I stood and oohed and aahed in just the same way as I did with my kids at the velodrome last week. After our gravel pit adventure, we do the same thing. Back home for tomato soup and jacket potatoes. No idea why it was that particular combination. And then set off more fireworks from that standard fireworks box and then have a moan at Dad for not getting more rockets. This fireworks routine has continued into parenthood with my own children, buying a single box and taking my time to light just like my Dad did, one firework at a time, sometimes stopping to ask my kids which one they'd like next. Though in recent years I have succumbed and brought some multi-shot fireworks too. At some point during my careful and considered display, I'll wander off up the garden with the catherine wheel to nail it to the tree and then realise I won't get it to work properly as last year's is still there, and I didn't. And of course I didn't return to that lit catherine wheel. Growing up in the 1970s in the UK, that particular part of the fireworks code is seared into my brain.
1: Light the firework at arm's length, preferably with a safety lighter, and then stand well back and wait. And wait, and wait. Never be tempted to return to examine a dud. It might not be. Add a little sparkle for good measure, and what have you got? The perfect recipe for a safe and happy Guy Fawkes night. It's called the Firework Code, and it's yours free whenever you buy fireworks. Remember, on the 5th of November, follow the Firework Code. Do you want to know more about the role and purpose of standards in the modern world? Then BSI's free online course, The Power of Standards, is for you. Through its three modules, you'll learn about what standards are, why organizations use them, how they are made, and how and why people get involved in standards making. The course is designed to last around 30 minutes, but you don't need to complete it all at once. You can stop at any point and restart again later when you're ready. To find out more, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education.
0: So our first expert guide in this episode is Tom Smith, Managing Director of Explosives Consultancy Can Do Limited and standards maker in the area of pyrotechnics and fireworks. A chemist by background, Tom has worked in the explosives industry for over 35 years and is currently chair of BSI Standards Committee, CII 47, Pyrotechnic Articles. I spoke to Tom about the work of his committee, and the role that standards play in the making and use of consumer and display fireworks, and also about some of the incredible fireworks displays he has been involved with during his career. But I started our conversation in really the only way I could. Now, Tom, there's really only one way... To start this interview what's your favorite firework
2: you know that's a really difficult question but um I think the the most precise the most uh engineered fireworks are the Japanese shells which uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to Japan and watch them both make and fire and they really like to fire these things singly so that you see them in a glorious black background and see the perfection that they can achieve but they're hugely expensive uh, very few actually work their way into the uk now um, but they are the most spectacular fireworks ever
0: now you've been a, a pyrotechnic consultant to a host of major events including athens 2004 and the london 2012 olympic games so i've got to ask you this question as well how good is the fireworks display at your house on bonfire night
2: well, I'm going to really disappoint you now because we don't have fireworks here. In fact, what I try and do now, having been out of production of fireworks for over 20 years, um, is to sit down with the best glass of red wine I can afford and toast all those people who are out in a wet, muddy field somewhere on November the 5th, uh, entertaining others. So, sorry to disappoint. but This is uh, a
0: revelation. I can't believe it.
2: <laughs> I, I see to... enough fireworks. And, and actually... Um, my family hate watching fireworks with me because I stand there and say, hmm, didn't like that. Oh, not no, sure about that one. Oh, that one's good. But it's about one in 10. Uh, so if we do go and watch a firework display, they make themselves scarce and watch from somewhere else where I'm not standing.
0: Here's dad going on and on again about uh, about fireworks. Now, of all, the, of, all the, of all the displays you've ever done, I suppose you've got to have one that you're, you're most proud of.
2: Well, when I was working for Kim Bolton Fireworks, which uh, I left actually to set up my own company just before the millennium, um, we were organizing 250 shows a year. So a huge number. But but the ones that have really, uh, you know, stuck in my mind, both for the spectacle, the venue, the scale of the event, uh, the Hong Kong handover was probably the best of all in 1997. Uh, we had about 16 tons of fireworks. Uh it rained and rained and rained, um, but they're so powerful, these display fireworks, that we covered them over with tinfoil and that ubiquitous plastic sheeting that exists in Hong Kong, and you fire straight through it um, because it was so wet that if we hadn't done that, uh, the display would have been a disaster.
0: And 16 tons of fireworks. I mean, how, how long does that take to plan?
2: Oh, it takes a long time to plan. Um Probably nearly a year in that case. Uh, A lot of the fireworks specially made by us to suit uh, the event. Um, Just to give you an indication of the scale 12 inch shells. So that's a shell that's fired up into the air. It goes about uh, a thousand feet up, uh, spreads about 600 feet wide. Well, in the UK, we might have fired two or three a year. And just for that one show in Hong Kong, I think we fired 57. So
0: Tom, we're very interested on the podcast about our guest standards journeys. So, when and how did it start for you, and where are you now?
2: Well, I've been involved in fireworks one way or another nearly all my life. My grandfather worked for Brock's Fireworks around the turn of the last century, um, so so that was part of my upbringing, if you like. I'm a chemist by training. Um, I went to work for Kimbolton Fireworks, who were the last manufacturer of display fireworks in the UK. Around about 1990 ish, um, having worked for them part time doing shows before that. And when I worked for them full time, uh, there was a need for us to be represented on the standards committees because we were the last manufacturer of display fireworks in the UK. So, I don't know, mid 90s up till uh, 2020s. Uh, so, it's, you know, 30 years nearly uh, involved in standards. Initially, of course, the British standards, and uh, latterly, of course, Uh, the European standards.
0: Now, you're chair of BSI committee CII 47, which is called Pyrotechnic Articles. And that provides sort of UK input into the European standards. You've talked about the committee you talked about there, uh, CEN, which is TC212, and also the ISO technical committee 264. But can you tell us about the work of CII 47? Is it mostly about fireworks?
2: No, it's actually quite important to realise it isn't all about fireworks. Uh, you you said that the CIO 47 and the other groups are to do with pyrotechnics. And like, you know, dogs and animals, all fireworks are pyrotechnics, but not all pyrotechnics are fireworks. Uh, there's quite a wide range, actually, from the consumer fireworks, which I suspect, if we were all honest, that was the thing that needed um, the standards. And that's what the UK developed as standards before CEN. Um, The other items are much more specialized, much, much smaller quantities. So you have the professional display fireworks and then a whole range of devices for use in theaters, so-called T1 and T2 pyrotechnic articles. And then an enormous variety of of other pyrotechnic articles. They're called P1 or P2, uh, which might be, you know, as diverse as. Hail rockets to, to seed clouds to to make sure they they drop their hail not on a crop to railway signals even down to medical devices uh, which bizarrely some medical devices are powered by tiny explosive charges so a huge huge variety of which fireworks although it's probably the most high profile is only part
0: and tell us about some of the some of the other members of the committee
2: well it's it's actually quite difficult in the UK we haven't really got a manufacturing uh, base in the UK anymore uh, in the sort of late 80s 90s uh, an awful lot of the pyrotechnics and particularly the fireworks were imported from the Far East um, at that time quite a lot made in Europe but just to give you an example when when we were manufacturing we couldn't make a five inch diameter shell for less than about 12 pounds uh, including all the labor and everything but we could buy one from China for about 50p. So there's a need for both. We, ours were more precise. The colors were probably better. Uh, but in a, in a big show, there are times when you just need sort of volume of fireworks, and there are times when you need precision. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's very diverse. The, the fireworks uh, and the pyrotechnics are diverse. So we have uh, consumer firework people. Uh, we have professional display firework people. We have theatrical firework people. We have people from the sort of uh, wargaming industry who, who use pyrotechnics uh, for their activities. Um, we struggle a bit to, to actually encompass one other group, which is pyrotechnic articles for vehicles. Uh, because you, you may know, or, or actually some many may not be aware, that uh, airbags are pyrotechnic devices. So nearly every car in the UK now has a pyrotechnic device in it.
0: What, why is that? Why is, how, how, how so?
2: Well, you know, when, when you want to function an airbag, when you hit something not you don't want to function, it, it functions, uh, you need to generate a lot of gas over a very short period of time. Um, and pyrotechnics is the ideal way of doing that. You know, pyrotechnic rockets are producing gas to propel the rocket into the air over perhaps uh, single or tens of seconds. Uh, for an airbag, you want the gas to be produced to, to fill the bag in um, milliseconds. And pyrotechnics are by far the best device to do that. So it's, it's, a, it's,
0: a, it's a very short, you know, minor explosion.
2: Absolutely, and 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 mm. and has problems. I mean, you know, the, the the gases that are produced are hot, and there have been instances of people being, you know, quite severely burnt from the functioning of an airbag. But you know, in the overall scheme of things, you're better off having relatively minor burns than being killed in a car accident.
0: And have got to ask as well, pyrotechnic articles? Why are there some articles?
2: It's, it's quite specific because, um, as I said, you know, all, all, all fireworks of pyrotechnics. All pyrotechnics are explosives. Um, but what we are doing across the pyrotechnic article industry is to pack those explosives into cardboard tubes or metal cases or plastic cases, those two a little bit less common nowadays for environmental reasons um so that they function in a much more controlled and uh, long duration way you you, an explosive explosion explosive you want to happen almost instantaneously but for a firework for instance you know a firework that functions instantaneously wouldn't be a very good firework so we slow it down um we put it in a in a tube, perhaps. Uh, for the standards side, you know, the tube will then be the thing that has all the instructions on it. So the distinction really is between a pyrotechnic substance, which is what goes in the tube, and the pyrotechnic article, which is what the public or the display company uses.
0: I see. Now you mentioned uh, standards there. So fundamentally, what role do standards play in relation to fireworks?
2: Well, uh, the. British standards have been around for a very long time and, in fact, really are the, the model for, for future standards after that, uh, particularly the SEND standards. We had a reasonable safety record in the UK, but, but everybody had, for instance, diverse labelling on their fireworks. And I'm afraid, you know, the great British public are a bit, uh, if I've lit a firework before, I know everything about them. Uh, and would would make mistakes because of the different performance characteristics of different types. So a standardized form of labeling, and then alongside that of uh, testing, product compliance, uh, something as simple as a fuse burning time. Um, so for instance, for a garden firework, the British standard said between 3 and 13 seconds. Not so quick that it went off while you were still in close proximity, but equally importantly, not so slow that you were then tempted to go back and try and relight it. Uh, And that made a huge difference because before then, uh, fuses were very variable and, and there were bad accidents. And I think overall, nobody can argue that the standardization and the impact that's had on the quality of product has made a huge difference to the safety record of all of these devices being used.
0: I can I can certainly see in terms of sort of um, labelling there. I mean, I, you mentioned there about returning to the to firework. It's always a I do this sort of little jig as I walk back, and I've always done the same thing every time I've, I've lit a firework. I've never actually timed it, so three to thirteen seconds. I didn't I didn't realise that. But how about in terms of standards around sort of quality? Sorry, in terms of content, about what actually, actually goes in the firework? Are there standards for that too?
2: For consumer fireworks, there, there are to an extent. Um and things like noise levels and uh, some of the chemistry within these items. Uh, For professional items, so that's uh, fireworks of category F4 and then T2 and P2 pyrotechnics. These are being used by professionals uh, using their own firing equipment, using their own designs, uh, using their own firing systems perhaps. And really they're the, the attitude that was taken quite rightly and pushed hard by the UK was that it was important to provide information to the user on the performance characteristics of the files, but not to dictate them, because that would have lent led to a you know, great diminution of the different varieties and effects that were available, which would have had very negative consequences and, and I think probably would have led to a, a black market. Um, so there are things that are banned like lead, uh, other particular chemicals that have found their way in over you know, many, many years, some of the chlorine containing compounds, which is all to the good. Absolutely. Uh, We should all be proud of the fact that the fireworks that we're using now are more environmentally friendly, less toxic, uh, less of a problem to manufacture indeed. Um, But with the constraint, as I say, that what I wouldn't want to do would be to make uh, the the variety of fireworks and other pyrotechnics uh, less wide to those who can use them properly
0: now you must have um these must be seared into your brain so to tell us about the the sort of main sort of big firework standards when, what are we what are people looking at when they might pick up a, a particular standard out, sorry a firework out of the box and see the numbers on there tell us about some of the standards numbers
2: well actually <laughs> strangely it may seem my my background and my interest is in professional display fireworks um and that's um Oh, now you've got me on the run here. Six two zero one six. I think uh, it's it's a palindromic number anyway. It, it
0: is a test. Don't worry. Don't. Worry. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it, it's odd, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, it's one of those things that the, the more you see, the more you then question your mind as to whether you've you've got it right or not. But um, if you
0: are, if I am looking at, a, say, a, picking up a Roman candle uh, out of the box, and there is a there is a standard number on there. Well, that's what is that standard number for? Is it telling me about? Uh, is it about labelling or about content? What what would it be saying to me?
2: Well, the standard, let's say, for what are called category one, two, or three fireworks. Those are consumer fireworks. Uh, they're basically all the same number.
0: Um, and that standard number is very, uh, bsen EN fifteen nine four seven pyrotechnic articles fireworks categories one two and three
2: it's important to have a consistency and in many respects the most important feature of that consistency is the consistency of labeling so the instructions are standardized instructions the distances are standardized distances that you need to remove yourself to 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 be safe or to fire the fireworks from away from the audience from buildings from trees whatever else it might be um, and then the effects are, are standardized to an extent. So it tells you whether it's going to produce a bang or a whistle or, or just colored stars. You know, that that's important because uh, even at a little school display, for instance, you know, it's sensible not to start the show with all the noisy fireworks because that's what's going to make kids upset and, and not enjoy it. If you start with less noisy fireworks there's a sort of built-in and build-up immunity, if you like. Um, Noise has its place. I mean, uh, silent fireworks are an impossibility, despite what some people say. But it's all down to the right things in the right place at the right time. And uh, the standardised labelling helps that. And the standardisation of the performance characteristic helps that. So, you know, if you fire a category F3 firework, which is called the display firework, it needs basically 25 meters. And you can be assured that under normal conditions, if you set it up right, follow the instructions, then there is a minimal risk outside that distance. As soon as you start to deviate from that, uh, and as I say, you know, we have a bit of a problem in the UK, whether it be fireworks or anything else, you know, there's an element of, if all else fails, read the instructions. Um, but if you stick to the instructions, you stick to the distances, then you should be safe. The vast, vast majority of firework accidents in the UK, and thankfully there aren't that many accidents with other pyrotechnics because the public aren't exposed to them so much, is either because they've just blatantly ignored what was written on the outside of the firework, um, just done it wrong, or are firing them in totally inappropriate places. So 20% 20% of firework accidents in the UK are people firing them in the street. It's actually illegal to do so, and it's got nothing to do with the standards. The product was perfectly safe had it have been used properly. But if they're being used almost as handheld weapons being fired at one another, well, you can have as many standards as you like, but the, the public will uh, will treat it in a different way.
1: Did you know Damp squib?
0: A firework is behind the expression Damp squib. Nowadays we use the expression damp squib to describe a disappointing event that is not as exciting or impressive as expected. But a squib is actually a miniature explosive device or form of firework, usually cylindrical in shape and with a paper fuse at one end, which fails to ignite if it gets wet. I'd like to come back actually to, to fireworks standards uh, and sort of safety and regulations in a second. But before, before we move on, move on from, from the committee work, um, obviously standards are by and large very much an international game. I just wonder with the work of your particular committee, where is the balance here? Is most of the work taking place at an at, at international level or at European level or at UK level?
2: Well, things have changed, obviously. Um, not always for the better, I'm afraid to say. Developing fireworks standards uh, in Europe with 27 people around a table, um, I was chair, uh, convener of one of the groups, you get 27 different arguments, and, and there's an element of going down to the lowest common denominator, which is not great. Uh, when we had control over our own standards, maybe that, that wasn't so much of a problem. Um, there is an issue for the future that if we deviate from the European standards, and although Brexit's happened and, you know, we've left the European Union, we are still absolutely part of the CEN groups on development and modification of uh, European standards for pyrotechnics and fireworks. The ISO groups are a bit different. Um, they stem from a completely different philosophy and are actually, in many respects, uh, trying to, to push a standard way of working rather than a standard product. And I'm afraid in the UK, the one thing we don't like to do is to be told how we should do something. For a professional, you know, the the whole essence of the experience, the knowledge, the training, the types of material you're using, the equipment that you have, is that you are determining how to use these products safely. And being told that you must use a particular type of mortar a particular distance away from somebody doesn't fit well with the British psyche.
0: Oh, so I see. So the, the ISO work is more around putting on fireworks displays as much against, against the product itself.
2: Uh, it is at the moment, or that's where the sort of the uh, emphasis is at the moment. And, it, and you know, it talks about things like how many people you should have rigging the fireworks. Um, and it's, a, if we're honest, a lot of it comes from China and China is manpower heavy. And, you know, they might say that you need 15 people on site, whereas a British company would rig it with two. Well, 15 people doesn't make it any safer. In fact, there's a very strong argument to say it probably makes it less safe. And then down to the use of them. Um, We're quite unique in the UK for professional displays in that there are no what we would call fixed rule distances. Much of the rest of the world says uh, the distance you need to be away from the crowd or from other obstacles is related to the diameter of the fireworks. Uh, but we don't take that approach. You know, we take a, a risk-based approach, which looks at all sorts of other factors: the wind strength and direction, the the local environment. Uh, you know, w- whether you're on a barge in a in a river or in on the top of a building in the middle of a city centre, uh, means you should use very different fireworks in very different ways. And in fact, our safety record is extraordinarily good. When the European standards were being developed, we were all asked to provide, uh, send, and the Commission with our details of our, our accidents over the last few years. And we uh, we're totally honest, and we said over the last few years, there's been about 1,000 accidents a year with consumer fireworks, most of which are down to sparklers or, as I say, some in the street or people using them wrongly, very, very few down to product failures. The French said we've only had three a year. Um, it only turned out subsequently, some years subsequently, that they actually meant they'd had three fatalities on average a year for the last 20 years. We, we had uh, two fatalities around about 1996, um, directly related to fireworks, but both down to misuse. Uh, and we've had nothing since that can be directly attributed to fireworks. So we were held out as being the bad guys saying we had a thousand accidents a year. And the French were held out as being the good guys saying they only had three accidents a year. But it was, you know, apples and oranges. We weren't counting the same thing. Yeah, got uh, to how,
0: you, how you're accounting for it, how you're measuring, it, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, that hasn't led to good standards because um, too much emphasis has been put perhaps on trying to dictate what people do with them instead of what we would do here, which is to educate and to try and make sure that uh, everything is uh, inherently safe rather than uh, uh, what the French would do, which is to fire them right next to the building because uh, that's the way they've always done it.
0: Now, talking about education, I'm a child of the 1970s and seared into my brain are those public information films for the fireworks code. Yes. I just now I just wonder what's describe to me the relationship between fireworks standards and regulations in the UK because obviously there is a there's an important safety issue here. So what is the relationship between the two?
2: We are very light on on regulating use. Almost of anything actually in the UK but specifically with fireworks. What we do regulate is supply, so what might be sold to whom and then how you store it and transport it and all those other things. So there are regulations in the uk the pyrotechnic articles safety regulations which directly reference the standards and say certain things are suitable for sale to the general public and certain things are only suitable for supply to persons with specialist knowledge but after that they don't really reference any of the technical information of the of the standards or even the labelling of the standards that is down to the user once he has legitimately and properly been supplied the item
0: and does that differ greatly for in other parts of the world?
2: Uh, yes, it does. Um, and again, we have a very good safety record here. It, it sounds horrendous that I've said that there's an average a 1,000 accidents, but they, they are relatively minor accidents. There are more accidents in Berlin on the 31st of December, which is one of the very few times that they are allowed to buy fireworks, than there are in the whole of the UK in a year. Um, Now, some of that's probably down to alcohol, I suspect. You know, New Year's Eve, uh, people think they know what they're doing and make a mistake and and get hurt. Some of it's inevitably down to fireworks being misused or, as I say, used almost as handheld weapons. Um, It's difficult. Uh, I think we've probably got the balance about right in the UK. Uh, We removed some items from sale voluntarily many years ago. In about 97, following the two fatalities I mentioned, certain other items were removed from sale, although there were still standards for them, and there continue to be standards for them. They're just not available for sale to the public in the UK. Um, but it changed. People's uh, perceptions changed. People's enjoyment, I don't think, did diminish. It was just a different set of fireworks. And in the last 20 years or so, the variety of fireworks, and particularly for consumers, the uh sort of what we would call multi shot devices. Multi shot or- I
0: was gonna I was gonna jump in there, yeah. I've sort of become <laughs> a big fan of the, my children, very big fans of the multi shots. <laughs>
2: well they're they're ideal, you know, you, you light them once and you get a continuous forty five seconds, minute, couple of minutes of different effects without you having to keep on going back. Um they they don't fail very often. And, and obviously the standards are there to ensure the product quality. But uh, when they do fail, it's a it's a bit tricky because they are going to continue to burn um you know if you were lighting 50 different fireworks one after another and something had happened you'd stop lighting the next one but if you've lit a multi-shot device and it fails halfway through it will continue to burn for the rest of that so you know there's it swings and roundabouts you you gain something you you lose something but overall it's been very positive and i think has contributed greatly to you know an overall reduction in accidents in the uk as i say we start from a good level we're uh compared to the rest of the Europe, we're actually very good. And we, we don't have many of the the problems that are seen, particularly it seems in some of the Scandinavian countries and some of the Eastern European countries. But fireworks are still used for bizarre things. I mean I, I'm I'm led to believe that when a new drug shipment arrives in Liverpool, a certain colour of firework is fired into the air to let people know that it's cannabis or heroin or whatever else has arrived, which is, you know, <laughs> Firstly, you're never going to incorporate that in the standard. Uh, I, wasn't
0: but... I wasn't expecting <laughs> you to come up with something like that today, but that's amazing. <laughs>
2: uh, well, and, and they're, used, you know, they're used for other things. And, and as I said early on, um, I've done a lot of work in football stadia uh, with, with pyrotechnics, which is an increasing problem. of People um, that tend to be sort of relatively ultra groups who are wishing to assert control and show who's boss in the stadium and intimidate the other team, bringing – what are huge quantities of, of pyrotechnics and fireworks into stadium? And I I have an example where over fifteen thousand pyrotechnic devices were brought into one stadium for one match. That's the whole and handheld fl
0: the whole handheld flare thing, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Well, yes, it is, but it's it's gone beyond that. Um, and rather worryingly, uh, I suspect that some of the items that come into mainland Europe, ostensibly passing the new standards that have been developed and then are shown to fail, end up on a black market and are sold through dubious routes to to people who don't care what their performance is. I mean, many of the examples we've got are people lighting smokes and and flares and then increasingly Roman candles and rockets within state where they were never, ever designed to be used and are not safe in those environments, not only, you know, from the heat effects, but smoke, uh, toxic effects. And then, as I say, with Roman candles and rockets, people are even firing them across the stadium. So not only is it the person who's firing it and his immediate surroundings, which might be at risk, but the opposing fans on the other side of the stadium are having projectiles fired at them. It's it's a very worrying situation. And, uh, you know, there have been some horrendous accidents and even fatalities. It's creeping into the UK. We sort of have an advantage in the UK in that we're surrounded by water. So it's less, less easy to import material perhaps than it is on mainland Europe. But if you're really determined, somebody will find a way to do it.
0: I think you're right. I mean, you need to describe there the sort of the, the sort of ongoing challenge we have with explosives. I mean, you're going to have those those safety concerns as new products are being developed. I just wonder from a from a uh, standards perspective, you know, what are the current challenges uh, that you're facing within the committee? What are you grappling within with the with the work of the committee that you're doing?
2: It's actually it's a relatively quiet time. Um, you know, the standards were developed back in um well, they, they came into force in 2007. They've been revised. They're being looked at again. These are European standards at the moment. Not much has changed in terms of product, and consequently not much has to change in terms of standards. Um, the challenges for the UK are that uh, if we deviate from those standards, then the whole testing and certification regime will become much more onerous because quite rightly test houses and enforcing authorities will say well it's just not the same standard anymore therefore it needs to be retested from scratch and that's an extraordinarily expensive exercise i mean there's about a hundred thousand different types of pyrotechnic article registered uh, last time hsc did did the work in the uk uh, and you might be looking at thousands of pounds per article so this is you know tens or hundreds of millions of pounds worth of expenditure to be brutal for no gain um you know shoving a uk ca ca mark on something that has passed the standards for a a ce mark it doesn't improve the safety just because it now says uk rather than ce Uh, and i and i worry that that will lead again to um a black market and uh uh, illegal imports or less a quality product. In, internationally, um, Sen is in a bit of a cleft stick at the moment with the mandates from the European Commission, and we, we wait to see how that sorts itself out. Um, I think the ISO standards do worry me because uh, although we have good involvement, it's a worry that uh, we're trying to have imposed duties put upon us. And I think the UK will resist that. And and I think government will resist that and just not recognise those standards. What will happen in case of an incident, I'm not sure, but we've got to wait and see. So it's not like the old days where, where, you know, the everyday work of the committee was actually developing tests, developing standards, agreeing, labelling, all those sorts of things. It's much more settled now than it ever was. Um, But, you know, 27 countries don't necessarily agree on the same way of doing something
0: it was ever thus now (laughs) i just think you mentioned that it's relatively settled but i suppose just just looking to the future where where do you in your in your view where do you think standards will need to go next
2: i i think there will be there has to be a recognition of the distinction between standards for amateur users which uh you know have to be much more explicit um have to tell people what to do, what the product's going to do, how to use it, how to have it safely, everything else, uh, and those for professionals. And, and we've worked hard to try and keep that distinction. Um, I worry that, um, and I said this to both the UK government and to the commission back in 20, 2007-ish, that actually the development of some of these standards will lead to an increase in accidents. And that that sounds very doom-laden, but we are almost beginning to see that already. Um, If that's the case, the answer is not more legislation and more developed and more restrictive standards. It's probably better education um, and making sure that people use things properly. And I think that's one element that perhaps the whole standards uh, regime, and this isn't a criticism, it's just... Recognition of the facts, you know, uh, you can you can make the product as good as you like, but ultimately it's down to how the user uses it, and and that's probably the weakest link in the chain.
1: Are you a postgraduate studying at a UK university? Do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way? Well, if so. BSI Student Research Programme can help. The way it works is simple. We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the programme, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com. Forward slash education.
0: Now, Tom Smith spoke about BSI Standards Committee CII 47, Pyrotechnic Articles. To find out a bit more about the stakeholder representation in the committee, I chatted to Lokeen Humphreys, Standards Development Manager at BSI, who looks after CII 47. I also asked Lokeen about some of the current standards making taking place for fireworks at UK, European and international levels and the issue of sustainability, including reducing the use of plastics. But like for Tom, I started off asking Lakin, what's her favourite firework?
3: Um, Yeah, a good question to start with. Um, uh, Particularly uh, keen-eared listeners uh, might have gleaned my accent already. Um, I did not grow up in the UK. I grew up in Australia, uh, where garden and display fireworks aren't legal for consumers. So, um, we have what you would call in the UK category one fireworks. So that's sparklers, party poppers, um, they're available to the, the general public. But um, I guess the sparkler is a little bit of a boring answer. So um, from all the public displays I've seen, um, I think like a lot of people, I'm sure I like rockets, um, so particularly the peony or willow kind of styles.
0: So you can't in Australia then, you can't walk into a shop even at a particular time of year and buy a box of fireworks.
3: You cannot. Um, and we also don't celebrate bonfire night in Australia, so I didn't know what that was until I moved to the UK.
0: <laughs> so is that all, how long has that been around? As long as, as long as you've known it, fireworks have always been illegal to the general public.
3: Yeah. As long as I've known, um, I have, I've never bought them myself. So um, only, only those small ones, those so sparklers, party poppers, things like that.
0: Well, here, I would love to talk to you now about your, your work of, of, for the standards committees here at BSI. So where does the pyrotechnics committee fit within the wider portfolio of committee work that you do at BSI?
3: Yeah. So my portfolio is mainly in the sustainability and manufacturing sectors. Um, CII-47 is a bit of an interesting one because it, it in a sense, sits alone. Um, uh, it's kind of a unique area of standardization. So it doesn't have um, an obvious cluster of other committees of related work, like some other areas have, like um, energy or building or things like that. Um, so there is also CII-61, which covers civil explosives, um, so, from a technical point of view, that crosses over a little bit, um, but our work program, um, we tend to work quite um, uh, on our own things in in a bit of isolation. That way.
0: Now, you mentioned that you're not from the UK. I'm just interested in your your standards journey. We love we love standards journeys here on the podcast. How and when did your standards journey start, and where are you now?
3: Um, well, I come from a publishing background, so I started off working um, in more of a media environment on things like. Uh, websites and magazines with a range of clients from healthcare to travel, lifestyle, finance, um, things like that. Um, and then I moved into specifically business publishing, which was working more um, with uh, with people on books um, and other resources that specifically aim to help people do um, something better, so um, planning and executing strategies Um looking at reviewing tactics, um, how to measure success, things like that. So it was in that role that I kind of became aware of standards. Um, And I guess what appealed to me about coming to work uh, in standards development with um, BSI as the National Standards Body was working not just with an individual but with groups of experts. So um, I work with a range of different groups that... uh, look at one area of standardization. So they have a scope um, and I'm working with the eminent experts from that area and the most relevant stakeholders, um, getting everyone together in one room or a virtual room, as it's been lately, um, uh, and discussing and brainstorming what's happening in industry, um, looking at reviewing and giving feedback on documents. Um, achieving a, a consensus view and taking that forward in, in Europe and um, in international standards. Uh, and at the end of it, we have a, a technical document that goes out into industry and makes a really tangible and positive difference. Um, so I started at BSI with a, um, on a six-month contract and I'm still here two years later. So we'll see Ooh. where it goes next.
0: It sounds to me like you've been seduced by standards, uh, <laughs> so that's uh, so it's great to have you here. Um, we you mentioned their stakeholder representation, and it's something that that I talked about with with Tom Price earlier in the Tom episode, Price, chair of CII forty seven. course, 47. I meant Tom Smith. Um, I'm interested about the stakeholder representation in the committee. You know, which particular organisations are represented?
3: Yeah, so it's an interesting one. As I as I said, CII forty seven tends to um, stand alone as far as the the portfolio, but it does have a really diverse. Um, mix of stakeholders uh, in industry and I think that's really well reflected in the membership of this group. So um, we have representatives from government, so we have the department from business, energy and industrial strategy or BASE um, and we also have the health and safety executive. Uh, We have some of the big associations like the British Fireworks Association, um, Association of Stage Pyrotechnics, Explosive Industry Group Um, and those representatives come with a mix of a quite academic background, so chemical engineering, things like that, as well as practitioner knowledge. So um, some of them are consultants for stage and outdoor entertainment, um, or involved with SMEs that provide the actual products. Uh, we also have uh, a representative from the Consumer and Public Interest Network, um, that's CPIN. Uh, so he's there to represent kind of a general view of the consumer. Uh, and also one that might um, surprise people a little bit is uh, we have a representative from the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders. Um, and that's specifically for the ISO 14451 series. Um, that's a EN ISO. So adopted at uh, international, European and British level. Uh, it's in 10 parts and it looks at pyrotechnic articles for vehicles. So um, things like airbags and seat belt pretensioners. So something that's maybe doesn't spring to mind immediately for pyrotechnics, but it, it does come under our scope.
0: Yes, it's something we touched on. I touched on uh, briefly with with Tom about, about the airbag issue and sort of the mini explosions that take place when an airbag is deployed within a vehicle. I don't think many people have probably thought about it in that way. I'm interested in what you said there about the consumer representation I mean, how important is it that a committee like this has a in representative?
3: Yeah, it's really important, um, and BSI's CPID network is quite strong, um, and and does a lot of great work in getting involved in various committees. Um, so I think with a committee like this that has it, it has quite a technical angle um, as well as the regulatory and government um, input a significant safety consideration in everything we do um, and it's a product that's available for consumers. So it's kind of um, many tiers to look at um, and really important to have that voice
1: there um, in the group. Did you know Shakespeare liked a sparkler?
0: William Shakespeare refers to fireworks in a number of his plays, suggesting that they were widely used in his lifetime. In his play Love's Labour's Lost, one character states that the king would have me present the princess, sweet Chuck, with some delightful ostentation, or show, or pageant, or antique, or firework. Now you've mentioned Sen and, and ISO alongside the work of of CII 47, and there's some sort of mirroring that takes place. So the, the BSI com- BSI committee mirrors Sen and ISO committees, but where is the bulk of the work that takes place for firework standards?
3: Um, so we have, uh, as you say, two mirror committees, one at ISO level and one at CEN. Um, the ISO group, ISO TC264, um, that's led by the Chinese standard body who hold the secretariat. Uh, it's quite a, a, new, a new group. So um, at the moment, we only have the two work items going through there. It's the last couple of parts of a series that looks at test methods and chemical substances. Um, in the CEN group, uh there are three main standards going under review at the moment so there are existing standards that we're currently revising um we uh, for a number of years and still now have really good representation on the five working groups under that technical committee it's sen tc 212 um which is uh, led by nem the netherlands standards body um so There are two standard series there, EN16261 and EN15947. Both look at fireworks, so things like terminology, labelling, test requirements, requirements for use. Um, There's a consumer kind of angle coming into it again there. Um, And then the EN16263 series, which looks at very similar things, but it is for other pyrotechnic articles. So things that aren't fireworks, things like smoke machines, flares, things like that. Um, So they uh, are already kind of widely used standards um, and all going through revision at the moment. So uh, from a historical perspective, we've been quite involved in those the whole way through.
0: So recently, um, BSI uh, and ISO uh, signed a London declaration, which is all around uh, sustainability relationships, (laughs) which... how standards can support the sustainability agenda now that's an issue for all standards uh, development and i suppose it's no different for fireworks so how is how 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 is the fireworks committee here how will cii47 be approaching approaching the sustainability issue
3: it's an interesting one i think because um although i said that my um my work areas are mostly in the sustainability and manufacturing areas some committees it's not um immediately obvious what the environmental considerations are so it does take kind of thinking outside the box a little bit um but we happily for us we have already been talking about um a few things on this front um so for example uh, a meeting we had earlier this year uh, the issue of reduction of plastics in fireworks was discussed um and our uh, our UK expert delegates that go to send meetings um, were able to report back that this is something that has already been discussed at send level and is kind of ongoing so um, there are a few considerations there and viable solutions being um, being talked about and which are on the table um, I guess the two main approaches would be uh, plastics that can be retrieved or easily picked up after use um, and the other one is alternative materials so, um, alternative materials comes with a range of other considerations and testing that's needed. Um, so if you're if you're changing what you're using in a firework, does it, um, it does it require more force to work? Does that have uh, an impact on safety? Um, and does that particular material actually um, disintegrate into microplastics and become impossible to pick up? So. Uh, Lots of things to think about, I think, but it is already on the agenda um, and something that we'll see considered in um, all of the standards ongoing as they're revised.
0: That's a really interesting point, actually, isn't it? Because at the end of any fireworks display in my back garden, there's quite a lot left over every (laughs) every year. And I think what you're describing there is almost like next generation fireworks, isn't it? Where a whole, if you're having to use a different range of materials, it's almost starting, starting from scratch, really, isn't it?
3: Exactly, so there's many, many things to consider um, and lots of ideas being put on the table. But I think um, the important thing is it, it already has been on our agenda. Um, so I think we're in a good place to um, to kind of have that there and be thinking about it um, for the next kind of two, five, 10 years.
0: Our thanks to Tom Smith and Lockhean Humphries for their contributions to this episode and to you for listening. And of course, remember now, never go back to a lit firework.
1: You have been listening to an episode of the BSI Education Podcast. Subscribe to us now, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You just heard a Stripped Media Production.